Welcome, everybody, and wonderful singing. I always feel like I get spoiled if you sit up in the front, um, not just because you get to hear everybody behind you, but you get to hear all of the children singing their hearts out up front. Uh, it is really just uh, so, so precious. Well, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and we just concluded the uh, Matthew chapter 9, and next week we are starting our sermon series for uh, the holiday season, which I'm very excited about. We'll be taking a look at the different uh, narratives throughout the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, leading up to Christmas. Very excited for our Christmas Eve service. I would love to tell you about it, but we're still waiting for approval. Um, from the city of Somerville. That's a teaser. That's what that is. Um, we are hopefully, so pray with us uh, as we look to our Christmas Eve uh, service. But that brought us to this week, where we just finished Matthew 9, and we we're getting ready to jump into the gospel narrative. And I thought it was a really good time, or our team thought it was a really good time to just stop and hopefully be able to see the bigger picture. Uh, I can't remember how many years ago, probably about 10 years ago um, or so, Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. And it is really a uh, secular business book. And Simon Sinek's a great book if you've never read it. But he's calling people to find their bigger purpose. Find your why. Why do you do the things that you do? And it's a great book. Um, not all the principles add up. Uh, I remember when we were first starting, there was two people on our core team, and they got a job with a uh, solar power company. And they went away to training, and the one guy came back, and I, he goes, yeah, they talked a lot about the book, that Start With Why, because we had talked about it in our core team meeting early on. And he goes, yeah, he goes, one of the guys that was there for training, um, he stood up and told this story about uh, they asked, what's your why? Why do you want this job? And he stood up and said, well, a couple years ago I was diagnosed with cancer and I uh, fought through it, but I saw the importance of technology as I fought cancer. And I wanted to be part of technology. I wanted to be part of what's happening in the future. And so for me it was working uh, in this solar power industry. And everyone was like, wow, just blown away. And they went to lunch and he said that the guy came up to him and he goes, hey, was that good? And our friend goes, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I made that whole thing up. He goes, I go to a lot of these sales trainings things, and I've had a couple jobs, and they love a good story, like when they ask this question, because everybody's reading this book right now. He came back, not using his name, but he came back just blown away. This guy just flat out lied to this group of people and got a bunch of sympathy um, in the attempt to give him this great reason about what their why is. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves doing the exact same thing. We love a good sympathy story, love about, uh, well, why do you love God? And we can go into this long story about it. So tonight, what I want to do is I want to look at the bigger picture of the Bible, if you will. I want to look at um, the bigger story that we find ourselves being a part in every day, every moment of our lives. Uh, it's going to take a while because we are going to go through the entire Bible. Um, just kidding about the Bible part, not kidding about taking a long time. 
So we're going to be jumping around. Raise your hand if you have something to write with or to take notes on your phone. Good, you're winning. And yes, we are keeping points. Uh, I would encourage you to find a way to take notes. Um, and then we actually want this handout. I'm not going to be going off of this. This is for you to keep. But as we go through, we wanted to leave room uh, so that you could write notes in here. And hopefully this stays on your person or you take a picture of this to remind yourself of this. All this will make sense in the future, I promise you. Uh, but I want to look at the big picture. Sometimes when we take a look at the bigger picture, it helps us understand why we do the things that we do. If you are a parent of small children, helping understand why you are raising them and having to tell them things repeatedly helps you to continue to do so. I've heard this from other people. And so I want to look at a big picture um, of... Uh, the story, the gospel of what God is doing now and has been operating in for all eternity past and all eternity future. And I want to look at uh, four questions in our life, uh, four questions maybe you ask repeatedly, maybe you've only asked in your life one time, and then we'll go back through and see how these apply to our life. I really hope all of this makes sense to you in a short bit. So the first question that we can find ourselves asking, if you are like me, is who am I and why am I here? Who am I and why am I here? And there might be many other questions that go along with this. Uh, many other questions of why did this happen to me in my life or, or how could God actually be operating if this. And so here we're going to group this question into two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the story of creation. The story of creation is an incredible story of God's love. It is a story of uh, where we can find our identity, that uh, he's creating all of these things, and he keeps saying, and it was good, and it was good, and then he gets to man and woman, and it was very good. We see that we were created in the image of God. Every human being was created in the image of God, making them special and unique. And we can go back to creation when we are struggling with why are we here? Or who am I? So I'm going to ask a series of questions that you can answer in your head. Feel free to call them out. That's on you. Question one. Ask yourself, where do I find my identity? Uh, or is what I find my identity in at war with what God has called me to do? There is always this battlefield, one of the words on the back part of this handout, there's always this battlefield happening in our lives of what I want my life to be and what God has called me to be. And understand, when God calls you to something, He also provides the solution. He provides the way. He provides the guide. He provides the roadmap. He provides all of the things that He is calling us towards. He will provide them. The next question, do I continually go back to the gospel to find fulfillment in life, or do I find myself looking elsewhere? Do I always go back to the gospel? Like, that is it. I never struggle, I never battle, because I would never think about turning anywhere else for fulfillment in my life. Next question. Am I sacrificing my 
immediate wants and desires and feelings at the cost of eternity. Not just my eternity, but maybe it's the eternity of somebody else that because of my immediate wants and desires and feelings, I am deciding that I am not going to help in this other person's eternity. I'm not going to play a role in it. If you've answered yes to any of these questions, you might be a prime candidate to be a human being. All of us battle with these things every day. Even though God created us in his own image and God created this perfect world and we see God's love and how much he cares for us and and what he's created, these are things that we go back and forth, which brings us to the big question number two. And if you're like me, you may yell this out on a repeated basis as you're driving down the road, and that is, What is wrong with people? What is wrong with you? I find myself, I mean, somebody else, a friend of mine, finds themselves looking at their child going, what is your deal? Why did you just choose to do that? That doesn't make sense. All the wisdom of a a two-and-a-half-year-old. What is wrong with people? What is wrong with me? The answer is in Genesis 3, and that is the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have been told not to eat of the, the tree of the garden of good and eat the tree of the fruit of the tree of the good and evil. I'll get that right. <laughs> and in that, we see what happens as Satan enters the picture. And go ahead, Genesis chapter 3, if you'd like to read along with me, and you'll see this take place that happens every day in our life. The serpent comes up to them and is tempting them, and the uh, woman says, but uh, Eve says, but if we eat of this, we will die. And Satan says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And they believed it. They believed they could be as smart as or smarter than God. The decision that they made was in direct disobedience to God, but they were going to justify it because they were now smarter. They wanted to be on that same playing field, that same level playing field as God. And since Adam and Eve first sinned, it has demonstrated a problem that every single one of us have. And I'll let you in on it. We make terrible decisions at an unbelievable rate. If you study mankind in any way, you will see mankind has a long history of being wrong and not wanting to admit it. Mankind has a long history of hurting other humans Mankind has a horrific history. Why? Because we can't stop sinning. We love it. We can't get enough of it. But every decision that we make, it affects other people and it affects ourselves, but most importantly, it affects 
our relationship with God. In Psalm 51, by the way, I'm going to just be calling out a lot of uh, passages, so I encourage you to write them down to read later. But in Psalm 51, when David is um, confessing to God his sin with Bathsheba and taking Uriah's life, Bathsheba's husband's life, um, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. And I remember when I first read that, I was like, no, 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 there was other people involved. But every sin that we commit to another human being is much greater our sin against God. Understand, sin damages everything. Because of the original sin, as you continue to read in chapter 3 of Genesis, everything was affected poorly. Disease entered the world. Work and hard toil. Understand, there was always responsibility and there was always doing things that was God-given, but now it all is for naught. We work and work, and as uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it's like chasing after the wind. We just cannot stop. How many of you work at, get done with the end of work in a day and be like, I did it. That's it. I'm done working. I achieved everything I needed to achieve. And you tell your boss this, and they're like, great, come back tomorrow. I have so much more for you to do. It seems like endless toil. Uh, childbirth is now going to have pain. Everything that God created that was good or very good now is covered in this blemish of sin, and everything in the world was affected. People now act selfishly. People look out for themselves, and they will do whatever it takes to make sure other people know how awesome they are. And that is the history of the world. Because we can have a tendency to blame God for letting bad things happen. The question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I can tell you, sin. It's a very easy answer. But the creation that he gave us was perfect. It was our own sin that ruined it. Understand, if you were the first human, you would sin. It is our own sin that has ruined it and continues to ruin it. The original sin, which at its core was humans thinking they were just as wise as God or wanting to be in the same position of God, always has damaging results. And when we choose to disobey God, in essence, we are saying, God, I'm just smarter than you. I've got this figured out. I know that when you said don't do this, you were really talking to these other idiots because I can handle it. The more we sin, the more hurt we cause, or the more other people sin, the more hurt we feel. And ultimately, we humans are constantly looking to rely on anything other than God. We are constantly looking to replace God in our lives with something that we will believe will be easier, better, quicker. It'll cause a better momentary happiness. We are always looking for the quick Fix And when we continue to go after these things, it is idol worship. I mentioned uh, a while ago that you read through the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, and you see one of the biggest problems over and over and over and over again is God's people choose idols. They are constantly choosing idols. But then you go to the New Testament, and you read through that, and God's people are always choosing idols. 
They continually are seeking after things or whatever it is, and they're called idols. And then we fast forward to today, and we say, I've got an issue. I don't think it's a sin, but I keep doing this. It's idol worship. Plain and simple. Anything that we put in the place of God that we go back to repeatedly is an idol in our lives. But just know, very thankfully, this is not the end of the story. If that was the end of the story, it would be completely hopeless. Well, we're all sinners. Have a good night. Come back next week. You'll find out more about how horrible of a person you really are. That brings us to our third question. What is the solution? If there is a problem that is that big and that massive, and yet God is as loving as he says he is and forgiving and gracious and merciful, then please, please, please tell me what is the solution. And I love this part, and I would encourage you to go back and read this passage in the Bible tonight, starting in Genesis 3 through Revelation 21, and that is the story of redemption. And if you're not keeping track at home, that is the entire Bible minus four chapters. The entire Bible is the story of redemption, and we love a good redemption story. Imagine if Shawshank Redemption was just called Shawshank, and it was about a guy who went to prison and died. Probably wouldn't have been near as unpopular as it ended up being. The story of redemption, the reason that we can have hope in an absolutely hopeless world is because of God's indescribable love for us made possible through the grace, mercy, and forgiveness that only he alone could provide. I have goosebumps, and I hope you do too, because this perfect world that God created, that he made for man and woman to inhabit with nothing but perfection, and humans messed it all up, and that is the story of the entire Bible. Humans messing up, God demonstrating his love. Humans messing up, God demonstrating his mercy. Humans messing up, God demonstrating grace. Humans messing up, God demonstrating forgiveness. Humans messing up for thousands and thousands and fill-in-the-blank years. And God saying, you know what I'll do? I'll send my perfect holy son to die for them. This is the ultimate story of redemption. God sent his perfect son to earth to die for us. Ephesians chapter 2. I have to turn there because I encourage you to as well. I put bookmarks in here hoping it would be quicker. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, that you is me and that is you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. If you're wondering who's disobedient, again, that's you and me. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Whenever we talk about, well, you know what I deserve, it's right here. You were deserving of all the wrath that God could bring on you for constantly disobeying him. But that next verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared and advanced for us to do. We are sinners who have been redeemed, who God has created. If you're wondering, what your identity should be in. Go to this passage, write it down, memorize it. He has created us to serve him. He has created good works for us to do to bring glory to him. Uh, Romans 5, starting in verse 6. You, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus willingly leaving the throne room of heaven at the right hand of God to come down to earth as a baby to be murdered by his own creation. I'm sorry, tortured and then murdered for his own creation. The story of redemption is something that we see every book, movie, you name it. It's all going after the story of redemption, but there is no greater story of redemption than what God has done for his creation that only ever continues to sin against him. This life is God's story of redemption. It is God's story that he wants to continue to point to his glory. Which brings us to our fourth question of the night, and that is, what is our ultimate hope? What is our hope placed in? Our hope is the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 22 and 23, and that is the restoration of all things. The story of the Bible, when you read chapters 22 and 23 of Revelation, it is describing what the eternal kingdom of God looks like. That this is the kingdom of God that will last forever that you, if you have made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you will be able to spend eternity with him. And there is no greater hope than this. 
This should help us start to understand what we've been seeing in Matthew when Jesus is now representing his kingdom. Revelation 22 and 23 tell us there is no more disease, there is no more sickness, there is no more tears, there is no more you name it. It is being restored. This once perfect garden is now going to be this perfect kingdom and everything in between is God demonstrating his love and grace and mercy and inviting us into that with him saying, this is what you were created for. This is why I've given you the experiences, good or bad, in your life, so that you can point other people to it. And we see Jesus in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew healing and healing and healing. And as we said a couple weeks ago, these healings, what was so magnificent about them was it was just Jesus returning the creation to what it was originally intended to be and demonstrating his power over creation. I want you to pause and just think about eternity for a moment. Every night, putting my boys down, I always sing Amazing Grace. I just have always loved that song. And the last verse, the chorus is, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years goes by. We just started. So take a moment and think about eternity. Close your eyes. Think about eternity for a moment. So this brings us to our application. Now what? We have had every major life question answered. We did it. Well done, everybody. I want to go back through these four things again and, and re-ask these questions. And what we're going to see is these four areas, the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, we find ourselves operating in. We find ourselves putting our focus on one of these things or falling in one of these things repeatedly. And so I want to ask, now what? Now we can look at these groupings, if you will, of God's Word and find out where do we need to go to uh, when we're struggling with this. So now what? Creation. We talked about creation. We want to ask the question, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your identity? And as we just talked about the kingdom of God, uh, when we understand what the kingdom of God looks like, we can understand our part in God's story. That we now are ambassadors of this kingdom. When Jesus becomes the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you are now an ambassador. You are now a representative of this kingdom. Representing something the world will eventually look like, but we get to represent that perfect kingdom in a sinful and fallen world. With all the temptations that God in his goodness can guide you through. When we start to view creation, when we start to view God's kingdom, when we start to view everything around us as part of God's plan, hopefully we will begin to view life differently. 
the things that we have experienced, good or bad, can be used for God's glory. Only a perfect and loving creator can turn what was meant for evil into something good for a perfect creator's glory. Our problem is we are constantly trying to find our identity in the things that the world has to offer. And so when we find ourselves in situations, we have to ask the question, where am I finding my identity? Uh, and the handout. I love this handout. And again, we'll probably use it again as we go through Matthew. Plus, I just love Venn diagrams. But what happens is we start to either favor one of these things or we start to look outside the kingdom of God and what God has called us to to find our identity in. And these things, the worship, the community, and the mission, they all start to fade away. They are no longer in our view. So creation, we are part of God's story. That leads us to the fall, sin. And we are always battling to be the star of the story. We are always battling to be the star. One of my favorite movies growing up is The Magnificent Seven. And so I've watched some documentaries on the making of it. If you don't know what it is, you should watch it. There's a new one out. Don't watch that one. That's not the one I'm talking about. Um, but in it, Yul Brenner had a long acting career at this point, and he was a star. Everybody knows who he was. I'm wondering how many people in here actually know who he was. But there was this young up-and-coming actor, Steve McQueen, and he was also in it. And what Steve McQueen had learned some tricks to get noticed on screen, especially when he was on screen with Yul Brenner. And they showed all these clips in this documentary of he would like take his hat off and wait, fan himself. And he would do these different things so that even if he was off camera or, or in the background, you still notice Steve McQueen. And he learned all these tricks, and they had started shooting, and after a couple days of shooting, all of a sudden, instead of the director yelling, cut, Yul Brenner yells, cut, and looks at him and says, if you do that again, I will make sure in two years nobody knows your name, and I have the power to do it. And they said, after that, Steve McQueen stopped doing all the stupid little stuff he was doing to bring attention to himself. We do the same thing with God all the time. The problem with the fall is that the story is about God and it points to his glory. His story is always greater than our story, but God invites us in to be part of his story, but we want to be the star. We keep thinking that we're the star and God is a support actor only there to do what we want when we need him to do it. And if he could just get that right, my life would be better. And we're fighting that. We want to be the star. We want people to notice us, not him. We're in it for our glory and not his. That's the story of the fall. We will always be wanting to make ourselves the center of the story and hoping God plays his role in the movie that we are directing. This demonstrates a rebellious heart as we are always seeking to have what we want, when we want it, where we want it, with who we want it. And if anybody tries to stop us, well, they're not good enough for us. Which brings us to the story of redemption. And the only way I can really summarize the story of redemption is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing good enough that we could do to 
earn favor with God. We only ever sinned against him. And when I say we, I mean every human being that has ever existed. We are constantly battling sin. But here's the power of the gospel. This is the best part to me of the redemption story. The power of the gospel isn't that we will be perfect here on earth. Okay? Spoiler alert. You won't be perfect. You're going to continue to battle sin. The power of the gospel is that we can continue to go back to God, a perfect and holy God, in our imperfection and repent. We are allowed to do this continually. We are allowed to go back to him and we are promised forgiveness. 1 John 1.9, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the greatest promises that I cling to every day. And not only that, but we are promised a helper. When Jesus is getting ready to leave the earth, he looks at the disciples and he goes, hey, by the way, again, if it was me, I'd be like, you're a bunch of idiots. This is what I've noticed here on earth. You guys are dumb. Jesus says, by the way, I love you, and I'm going to be sending a helper to you, the Holy Spirit, to continue to guide you. I am not going to leave you alone. I know that you need me. And he says the same thing to you and I, because we're idiots, and we need a guide, and we need a helper, and that is what the Holy Spirit does, is he comes in, and he, he says, so confess your sins, continue to repent, come back to me, I've sent you my Holy Spirit to guide you, and 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, oh, by the way, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And we're like, good advice, Paul. Let's go quench the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He's sent there as a guide. Listen to the Holy Spirit so that my word that I've given you so that you can know just how much I love you can penetrate your hearts and guide a sinful human being to walk with a perfect and holy God. He does these things and he tells us in, in Romans 6, you are no longer slaves to sin. At, before Christ, we can't help but sin. We always sin. Everything that we do is sinning. He says, when you come to know me now, you are no longer slaves to sin. That we are freed from that. We have a tendency to view God as this cosmic, disciplinarian who's only there to try to catch us doing something wrong. The story of redemption is that we, it's not easy to catch us doing something wrong, but he saw what we really needed was a forgiver. We needed someone that loved us. We needed somebody that showed grace and showed mercy and gave us a guide and gave us his word to demonstrate just how much he loved us. One of the most amazing things about this redeeming story is that now we are invited to be an active part of the story. We have, again, a tendency to believe that, well, I'm weak, or I need to grow in this area, or I keep messing up here. And I love in Corinthians because Paul writes, he knows. And in your weakness, he demonstrates his power, but we come to church trying to cover up our weaknesses. We go through life thinking, if I can just cover up my weaknesses, one more day I'll get the raise. If I can just cover up my weaknesses, if I can just cover up my uh, bitterness and my, my selfishness and my desire to do what I want to do, if I can just cover those up, this one for two hours, people will think I'm awesome. God says, no, in your weakness, 
when people, when we demonstrate here on earth that we serve a kingdom where we are forgiven, that we can continually go and repent and confess and be forgiven and live free from sin, we invite others to do the same. And that's what people are chasing after. That we get to play a role in how we live and how we love, and we get to try to point other people to Jesus. But not only in our good stuff, but even in our bad stuff, we get to point other people to Jesus. We are inviting other people into this relationship that gives an identity that will last for eternity. This identity uh, in Christ who has already defeated sin and has this incredible hope for the future. This is a story that lasts for eternity that we are invited into being a part. And that brings us to restoration. And is there no greater ending than no ending? That this story, God's story, it has no ending, but on the back end, it's just us celebrating Him forever. That we get to live, it says that the sun is no longer necessary because God's glory is more, the, more bright than the sun is. That we get to bask in His glory, that we will continue to sing praises back to Him, that we will exist in this perfect kingdom in the way that it was originally intended to be. And when we can live in light of eternity, when we can stop and put our focus on what it is to be with Him for eternity, all of a sudden the suffering aspects of this world seem so insignificant. We are here for just the tiniest little blip in light of eternity. When you study or read about our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and they're asked, how can you go through this suffering? And they're like, oh, I get to spend eternity with Christ. This is nothing. This is a couple years, 30, 40, 50 years. That's nothing. After all that Christ has done for me, how could I not go through that for him? We tend to have a belief that we don't deserve any suffering, that everything should just be great. Why? Because we have a tendency to live for the here and now, and we are willing to sacrifice eternity for immediate pleasures here on earth. But when we live in light of eternity, it allows us to view the world differently. When we have that eternal perspective, we we tend to view the people that bother us the most as how much they need God in their lives. We look around, we see... People need to be loved and forgiven and demonstrated grace and mercy from God. And we are his representatives to do that here on earth. Going back to the Beatitudes in Matthew, blessed are the meek, blessed are the low in spirit, blessed are, and it goes through, and that is our mission to live demonstrating this greater kingdom. Now, all four of these parts are very cyclical. I said this at the beginning. They're an interwoven story that the more we understand one part, the more we begin to understand how the other parts play into it. And it is also important to understand that we are not intended to do this alone. We need each other. 
We were created for community. Uh, we need each other. Again, go back to this handout repeatedly of where do I find my identity? And we have a tendency, well, I like worship. That's fun. I can just go to church for an hour and I can check it off. And I say, well, you know, do you live on mission? Do you tell other people? Oh, no, that's uncomfortable. Well, it's not what you were created to do. And we can go through the entire Venn diagram of understanding it's all three. It's not one or the other. It's we are created to do this. We are created to do this together in community. First uh, John, the book of First John, that at some point I'm going to have to go through it again. Uh, it keeps pointing back. It's really a hard book to go through because it keeps saying, like, understand you love God as much as you love the person you least like in church, basically. And when we say, like, well, I love God... By the way, that's a joke among pastors I would never make. Church is great except for the people. You love God as much as you love the hardest to love person sitting in the building. Not just there, but across the family of God. When you have problems with somebody that goes to another church, that's how much you love God. I wish I could get around it, because that's tough. feeling really convicted all of a sudden. Give me a second. This is why we keep saying over and over and over again that we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That's where it starts. The gospel is not this one-time thing. We have to go back. We have to go back and say, where am I falling into today? Where am I battling against God? Because I'm existing in a fallen world, but I've been redeemed, so how do I point back to that? Or I'm fighting God because I want my identity as this. I want to be this. And we have to go back and say, no, this is what God created you to be. This is where you can now find true joy and happiness as you follow him. But not only that, but we get to share this with other people. We get to tell other people that we encounter who are going through problems in their lives. Now, it wouldn't be as cold as they're like, I'm going through a really hard time. They're like, well, it's a fallen world. See you later. <laughs> but we get to demonstrate that same, uh, that same graciousness and that same mercy and that same love and that same patience. And we get to demonstrate uh, what it is to not be a, a keeper of a record of wrongs. And we get to demonstrate what it is to separate sin as far as the East is from the West, and we get to do this, not in our own power, but only because God is all-powerful and he can do it through you, through his Holy Spirit. When we can see the bigger picture of the Bible, when we can see the bigger picture of the gospel, it allows us to not only preach the gospel to ourselves daily, but to continue to point people to God. That you live in such a way that you are representing a kingdom here on earth that people want to be a part of. I love studying Roman history uh, in the time of the New Testament because there is zero reason the church should have succeeded. It went against the entire culture of the Roman Empire. Not only that, but they were fed to lions, they were burned at the stake, they were hoisted up and covered in tar and became a living garden for Nero. They had no problem killing anybody. And the Christians, amidst all the persecution, were the ones who said, no, we are going to represent this kingdom that Jesus taught us. So they lost their jobs, and they lost their lives, and they were tortured, and they were killed. And they burned their idols, and they burned their books. They did everything that just seemed wrong to the culture. And yet it continued to grow over and over and over again. 
So is your allegiance, is your passion, is your identity found in this eternal kingdom of God that will last forever? Or are you choosing it to replace it at the sacrifice of eternity? I'm going to invite you and just close with just a moment of taking a moment where you are. And we didn't open as we normally do or take a moment just to talk to God, but I'm going to invite you now to just to take a moment and silence where you are. And if you have never called out to him and sought him as for that forgiveness, I encourage you now to call out to find your identity in him, to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to be the leader of your life and begin that incredible relationship with your loving creator and God. Or maybe you already have that relationship and you're here and you know that there's things in your life that you're trying to hide. You're trying to hide those weaknesses. You're unwilling to admit them or confess them and you keep thinking you've got everybody fooled. Well, I'm going to invite you to go to prayer as well and confess these things to God. So let's just take a moment, and I just want you right where you're at to talk to God, and then I will close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. I thank you that you are a perfect and loving Father. That you have never nor will sin against us or break a promise to us. But I'm thankful that we can run to you. Wherever we are in life, that we can run to this perfect, loving Father who has only ever demonstrated grace and mercy to those who call out to him. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just stop there, but that we would continue to demonstrate in our everyday lives what it is to be loved by you, to be forgiven by you as we show grace and mercy and love the people that you and your sovereignty have placed in our lives. Lord, I pray for anyone here this evening who has never called out to you, making the, you the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for us who already have that relationship with you. I pray that we would be fearless. That we would operate under 
your power. Sometimes make the difficult decision to love those and to show grace and mercy to those who are so hard to love. Lord, I thank you for your word and that we can run to it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to rely on your word as we rely on food and water. That we continue to rely on you as you are the perfect creator with a perfect plan. I pray that you continue to help us draw closer to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.